0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mookie Gana Harrington, the man with the golden voice, joined alongside me, my friend, member of the 20th best podcast in the world. He is Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston of WrestleNomics Radio. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm
1: fine. You're listening to, I, I thought it was the 15th, tied for 15th, best podcast in the world as voted on by Canadian wrestling fans. The I thought universe. so too
0: until I remembered oh, you found that it they again. were not allowed to wrestle for post wrestling, or they weren't allowed to vote for them. So I have yeah. to include post wrestling shows in that top twenty. I see, and there's five of them. I have no idea how many there are, but I know there's at least you know like four or five different versions because you have View from the Rising Sun type thing, and you have uh, the the. I'm, I'm butchering all their names of their shows, but Masanori you know, Horie
1: Jack- is doing a show for post wrestling. I didn't know that.
0: No, he's not. Or, you're, or
1: are you thinking of eggshells?
0: I'm thinking of eggshells. I'm thinking of of uh, uh, of course, Wei and King. Uh, as,
1: as you scramble to Google what the show names are, can't just, remember them. All just right uh, now. this is not- totally disrespecting our, our our friends John Pollock
0: and Wei Ting. You get to be on their shows. You were on their shows, even on one of their podcasts. Yes, I was uh, after the Saudi Arabia show. That's right. Um, but no I great respect for for them and and the success they've had this year and uh yes we we' were, we were kind of honored when uh we we showed up out of the blue along with uh, the voices of wrestling flagship show and several other uh vow shows were on the list and mm-hmm. so that was pretty cool
1: yeah A- along with and Flip. Uh, if you
0: might mind... what people come to listen for the seamless transitions. <laughs>
1: Yes. That's that's why we are ranked so highly is because of look at all this production we do here. All the music. Yeah, the the the,
0: the pronunciation lessons I take offline. Yeah, what is Lester?
1: The, um, what 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 are we going to run through the, the the names of the top YouTube channels around the uh, world right now? You you're ready, no, you, but, have, you have that list uh, at your fingertips. You're ready to run that down for us, right?
0: I'm actually a little terrified that we might have to talk about that drone problem in the UK at Gatwick at uh Maybe I would have to make sure that I pronounce that right. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, this is going to be one of the last shows for Russell radio dot 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 ever of 2018. Oh, okay. 2018, at least. Um, cause next week I'm in Rochester and the week after that, I'm in Japan. Uh-huh. So we'll see whether or not, uh, Brandon and I can actually, uh, coordinate our schedules, our very busy schedules. Mm-hmm. We can, we can tell all the, uh, the billionaires and trillionaires that we, we have to put their calls on hold and instead record this very important podcast. Yes.
1: I'm thinking about maybe going to Rochester on Friday. No promises. We'll see. Right. You have a secret hotel. You have a secret hotel uh, staked out. We may be able to do this in, right? Yes. Yes. It should be
0: pretty fun. Yes. Otherwise we'll go over to, we'll go to Luke Harper's house and we'll do it by the chicken coop.
1: Okay. We can do that. I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, Oh, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the biggest stories of 2018 we're going to talk about some TV deals that have been coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about Brandon's advice and uh, Brandon's um, uh, what is the word I want? Conspiracy on New York wrestling reporting, um, and uh, a couple other things. Uh, Mookie did some uh, WrestleNomics, some old school WrestleNomics yes. with a number of, of matches going on, Match and uh, we also have have some New Japan tours. So, and WTV WTV know. deals, Impact TV deal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's kick it off. Um, maybe talking with those TV deals. I want to, I do, do think that's really interesting. Um, that, you know, we've had WWE made two announcements. Um, but neither of them are the big announcements. They announced that they and J Sports are going to do a, their longstanding partnership in Japan and that WWE and Sky in New Zealand are continuing on a deal here. And, uh, the J Sports one, I think might be, uh it's second 22nd year with j sports to broadcast raw and smackdown and uh there's a one hour version of raw and smackdown that they're also going to start showing on on uh j sports 3 which i always you know i just think that's always curious to see mm-hmm. um who you know what could you cra- what could you craft raw and smackdown into a one hour show what would be the value of it and like how different it would feel mm-hmm.
1: But it w- American wrestling fans are jealous that they're not able to also condense Raw and SmackDown into a single hour.
0: I would, I would be, you know, I, if you took out all the ads, you got to figure there's almost 15 minutes of ads an hour. So that's 45 minutes. So really, what you're doing is you're taking a show that's two hours and 15 minutes and condensing it into one hour mm-hmm. if there's no commercials, which I assume there's still commercials, but we don't know. I'm but what sure. will we'll, what we're really waiting on is. What happens with the UK deal? Um, they had said they would try to announce it before the end of the year. They have basically three days left, right? Mm-hmm. They basically have the day after Christmas, the next day, the next day, maybe four days, because I guess you could maybe do it on the 31st.
2: Yeah.
1: What do you think? We're going to see a UK TV deal announced before New Year's Eve, the, 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 stri- the when the clock strikes midnight. Will there be a UK TV deal?
0: I'm going to go with no. Yeah, I don't I think, think so. Gonna hold it. I don't think so at this point. But it'll be very interesting to see that. And then, um, the other really big news, um, maybe you can lead, lead it through because as you can tell, my <laughs> voice is just, it's, it's doing wonderful. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happening with impact? Yeah. I, I, I
1: talked Mookie's ear off for about an hour before we started recording. So he's got m- not much left to now. Uh, impact wrestling is going to be moving away from. Pop TV, which they've been on for what now? Two years or so? They've been on Pop TV for a while. Uh, they were on Destination America before that. Of course, they were on Spike before that, now called the Paramount channel or Paramount network. And, but they're going to be moving to the Pursuit channel, which is, have you ever watched the Pursuit channel, Mookie? You watch think, that all the time. Was
0: it, you watch all was the hunting? It one of the, um, the VOW guys was listing all the different channels that were surrounding his Pursuit channel, where it was like, He's like, well, it's the reality kings, the brazzers, the, uh, the penthouse channel. And then there's pursuit. There's the outdoor channel. Like he was saying, like, yeah, that's the section of my cable box. This is on
1: interesting. So, oh. so you, you watch the pursuit channel all the time. You watch all the hunting programming that they have on there and the fishing programming and the, uh, the, out, the outdoors shows that they have on there, right?
0: For some reason, because the pop channel used to be like the TV guy channel. Yeah. And it just makes me feel like the Pursuit channel was going to be the trivial Pursuit channel. And it was going to be just like, you know, the board game channel that yeah. had now been switched into, uh, um, showing wrestling. And if there was a board game channel, I probably would watch it. You would, that you would watch it me. all the time. Well, I'm sure there's Twitch streams like that now. And I just, I don't watch them yet. So I'm lying when I say it would, but yeah, uh, did, I did watch something good on Amazon uh, yesterday. If you have Amazon Prime, uh, check out Slice. It's a, a fun little horror comedy. Um, that uh, has Paul Shear and has uh, Chance the Rapper and and, uh, lots of other really cool people in it. So uh, I found it very entertaining. And you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. Fascinating. So Anthem,
1: which is the parent company of Impact, is also at least has a stake in the Pursuit channel. So this is something that Anthem owns itself, at least part of it. So I think the big question to think about here is like, well, what is the pursuit channel in terms of like, well, how many homes is this in and how does this compare to other networks that carry wrestling? How does this compare to pop TV?
0: So, so it says pursuit channel is one of the largest North American channels focused on hunting and fishing genre. mm. AMG has a significant minority investment in the AMG is Anthem media group. I believe headquartered in Alabama, thousand seven content includes original hunting, shooting, Fishing and outdoor programming distribution to 38 million homes via dish network, direct TV, and small cable platforms is what it's claiming. Hmm. But that could also be including um, Canadian homes. There you go. But, um, interesting. I, my, my hope with this would be that Impact is going to pivot and this means that they're going to do backyard wrestling now and so that they're outdoors. Yeah. And so they're in parks and the great, you know, maybe they'll go to all the great parks of America and then hold outdoor shows. Maybe. So
1: Pursuit is in 28 million homes. And you compare that to like USA Network, which, which carries, of course, Raw and SmackDown right now. USA Network is in 91 million homes. So that's kind of a, as big as a cable network is, is going to get in the US right now. 91 million homes. And then this is all according to, by the way, sports TV ratings.com, which, uh, I, I don't know. How think, does this compare? El Ray or Pop or B in
0: sports? I'm going like, to tell you in
1: a minute. Give your voice a rest. Uh but this is all according to sportstvratings.com, which put put out in May this list of like here here's the cable coverage for all the networks that are on your your, your cable guide or whatever. And they haven't updated this in a while. They used to update it kind of regularly, but this, this is the latest one that I'm able to find is from May 2018. So USA networks in 91 million homes. Uh Pop TV was in 68 million homes. Uh Spike, which Impact, of course, used to be on, is in 81 million homes. Uh El Rey, which carries or carried Lucha Underground is in 44 million homes. BN Sport, which is currently carrying MLW, 22 million homes. So that's just a little bit below Pursuit. So I guess you could say that, well, this is not, uh, as, as low as, uh, what MLW is being carried on. It's a little bit above that, but this is way below Pop TV. This is a step down from Pop TV. And this is certainly a step down even from Destination America, which was in 47 million homes. And, and this is, uh, a fraction of something like the USA Network or Spike.
0: Do we have a vision on where Access is? Access, according
1: to this article that I did way back in 2015, I I found somewhere along the line, uh, I found some information telling me that Access was in 43 million homes. So, Access and El Rey in the same
0: neighborhood, it sounds like.
1: And of course, Access is is currently airing New Japan.
0: Yeah, I'd always heard of El Rey and Access as being about half homes that have access to cable systems. So that sounds about right.
1: And then the reason why we're, we're fuzzy on Access is because Access doesn't actually subscribe to Nielsen like most of the other networks do. So we don't know that much about Access.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because I think what's what shocked most people is that impact on pop, most people saw that as probably a ad share deal, yeah. where maybe both sides you you cover your own production costs, but we'll share the ad rates with you, or you maybe get your own ad rates and then we, we make it up just by having content or something else. And, and the viewership you give, uh, helps boost our network, you know, so that we do better in the ratings. Cause I'm sure it is actually probably one of the highest rated shows on pop. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, a lot of people thinking, wow, it's unusual that they're going to move and they're moving even further down the tier. And that's not a great sign for the anthem. And of course, some people are making it really big by saying, well, they own. Pursuit. How, how can they even give them a crappy slot on their own thing? Well, owning a minority stake in a channel does not necessarily dictate the ability for you to tell that channel exactly what it's doing. And on top of that, I think everyone would acknowledge that a hunting, fishing, outdoors channel is not the best fit, ideally, for a professional wrestling company. And so you do have to somewhat worry about: Are you alienating some of the people that do watch your channel if you, you know, were to bump all the other programming just to put on wrestling? So um, this also, again, goes to my theory. Uh, I don't know anything about it, but my guess is that that Anthem is still in the MMA mode. They are looking for someone who wants to buy Impact. They are looking for someone who wants to partner with Impact. They are looking for something that makes it cheap enough for them to make money with this company. And they're trying to cut costs. And so whether that means they're going to networks that are going to be friendlier to them, even if it's worse time slots, whether it means that they are just going to keep cutting the payroll and letting guys go to WWE or go to anywhere else in the world that they want to go to, whether it means that they're going to be more kind of cooperation arrangements with maybe the Japanese companies. We still see kind of that Lucha Underground versus uh, Impact type vibe that's been done a few times. And I actually think that's going to carry over into this new year here is that we might still see more of that. Yeah. But. And we've also seen Impact showing a desire to go to Mexico and, and tape. You know, they've taped in Mexico City before. I think they're going to go tape again. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so Pop TV will continue to have wrestling on it, though. No. No.
0: No. Lucha? So you're going to say Aero Lucha. So the Aero Lucha story is. Um, so PWI did a follow up on this, Mr. Mike Johnson. Ah. Um, and basically. Uh it's a good story from from him uh where he basically says is Lucha coming to Pop? question mark and he says it appears the answer is no not at this time because apparently that commercial for Lucha was part of basically Impact itself basically they bought the time on Impact to show that commercial so that when Impact sent the tape to Pop it was part of the the footage so it wasn't really them saying hey we're coming to pop because pop wants us on it was era lucha kind of saying maybe this is going to happen
1: what did the commercial
0: say um if you click on the article is, is um you tell it's the era, you know, of Wrestling. yeah yeah it, it has a sizzle reel and okay. i think it just kind of says like coming in 2019 and mm-hmm. so i think people assumed because it said tw- coming in 2019 and it aired on pop it meant it's coming to pop mm-hmm. but no it does not appear that it is actually a deal with pop to air aerolucha so aerolucha doesn't have a tv home and if you remember aerolucha is owned by aerolux aerolux was one of the companies that that impact owed a lot of money to so it's very possible that this is also like an in kind make good for some of the money that impact might owe to other companies has, it's basically saying
1: has impact contributed to the public crowdfunding that's a uh, financially supporting aerolucha
0: I do not know if they've done any of the crowdfunding. Maybe, so that's,
1: maybe that's the reason why that uh, that fund balance jumped so much in a single day.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Ed Norholm
1: yeah. busted out his
0: PayPal account. Oh, could be. Could be. So, yeah. So, Aero Lucha on, on Pop was actually a commercial is what, what Mike Johnson's reporting. And I think that makes far more sense is that, mm-hmm. you know, you have Impact, a company that owes money possibly to Aero Lux. Arrow Lux wants to do something. They get them to basically say, "Hey, we put our commercial on your television show. Will you air it? And then that will that will erase some of your debt." Okay. So so
1: here's a thought—not not necessarily my thought, but hey, here's a thought. Okay, you're you're a wrestling property and you're trying to get a TV deal, but you can you know you, the best TV deal you could get was a step down, twenty eight million homes down from what was Pop sixty eight million homes. If if you're trying to sell a TV program. To a, a wrestling program, to a TV company,
0: look, the market's not good. The market is whatever people want it to be at the right level, and what I mean by that is do you spell? Oh, <laughs> Echo, stop. <laughs> Echo decided to spell the word level at me. Um, what I mean by that is it's it's really going to be a question about who do you know in this industry, and what are you willing to pay for it, and what stars you're delivering. I, I do think one of the biggest challenges we have right now is coming into the 90s. There was all these guys from the 80s that were high-profile stars, and so if you wanted to sell your nitro, you could say, "I've got Hogan, I've got Piper, I've got Savage." I've, and then going into the 2000s, you could say, "I've got DDP, I've got uh, you know these ECW stars, I've got these," and we we kind of had that changeover. The biggest challenge is now we're the next de- decade in there's not a lot of stars that are out there on that marketplace that you can use to kind of leverage yourself up. Now there's guys that are talented by all means. In fact, you could make argument that some of the, the, the talent threshold today on an in-ring product is one of the highest it's ever been in history. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, Johnny Mundo is an incredible athlete. He's an incredible performer, mm-hmm. but he's not a star that a television audience like flocks to go see. I don't believe. Um, no, no disrespect meant to, to him, but that's just the, the evaluation I have. And so it's tough because there wasn't a lot of stars made in the last 10 years here that play big on American television. You know, there's a few guys that are, that are out there. And, you know, I think WWE was able to resurrect some of them. We've seen, you know, Dave Batista came back for SmackDown. We saw Bill Goldberg do another run with WWE. We saw Sting come to WWE and be successful. So we've seen some guys, but even that, I would argue those weren't stars made in the 2000s, except for maybe Batista. Yeah. Um, so there's not a lot of stars left out there. And I do think that makes it tougher to sell on the television audience, um, for, for the networks, because if you're not interested in wrestling and you're interested in stars, there's less of them out there for you to kind of gravitate to. So it's exciting as impact product can look, you know, with, with some really good performer people and, and, you know, Mexican stars and all these other stuff. It's still a challenge to say, what are you getting if you get a Penta or a Ray Phoenix or whatever? Is that really enough to excite the TV executives? The other thing is we don't know whether this Pursuit channel might have money. You know what? Getting paid a rights fee for being on Pursuit could still be better than getting no rights fee whatsoever on Pop. Now, my guess is no, it's probably not a step. You never know. I've seen people make sweetheart deals that later on, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe we made that deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I heard somewhere
1: along the lines that, uh, Impact was getting some sort of TV rights fee. Yeah, it was an ad revenue share, but it wasn't like just a total non-payment of, or total, like, it, it wasn't that they were not getting any rights fee. It wasn't huge, but it was, they're getting something.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I,
0: I, I totally believe that they are not, they're not paying to be on television. This isn't Ring Warriors. They're not doing a ad buy. And this is not, um, other things like, I think they get money to do the shows, but the challenge is it probably doesn't cost the cost of taping a show. And that's, it's still expensive. And then you have to add in live gate, you have to add in pay-per-view, you have to add in other things. You know what I think they're trying to do with Anthem right now is very well-managed company that costs very little to run and that fulfills the requirements. And then they get, of course, the Sony India money. And, you know, that, that is a great example of, you know, a deal they got that was probably a very good deal. That's really made them worth something. And as long as that deal's in play, they probably have enough capital to at least make a go at this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And being owned by a big media company kind of saves you from the, the, the wear and tear, you know, ring of honor, you could argue, do they make money or not? Ring of honor is something where the parent company says, I'm going to spend X amount of millions a year on this thing. And that's the value of the programming to me. So as long as I can keep it to this budget, I'm doing well. Now, if you're a ring of honor and you want to grow, that's going to always be in conflict with the idea of, can you just do it, be profitable every time you do something? And, you know, I would argue that there's been a little bit of a mind shift in Sinclair with their willingness to do something like the MSG show, because that really is a risk-taking endeavor that is a, a legally challenging endeavor that's an expensive production endeavor. And it's really you putting your, your foot out there and trying to say, no, I'm not interested in being a, a moderate, medium sized company that tries to run profitable. I'm interested in being a professional wrestling company that has a worldwide presence that is acknowledged and, and draws an audience from around the world to come see our show. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're having a little bit of a, a switch. I'm really curious what, um, impact on pursuit, you know, one of the biggest challenges with impact on pop was for a while it wasn't in HD like it was recorded in HD, but it was shown in like SD. And that was a real, you know, that looked terrible. I don't know. You probably never watched it, but when I would watch it, it didn't look great because you're watching SD programming in the era of HD programming. And so, you know, there's those elements too. The last piece is if you say our pursuit and you're only in 28 million homes, if you put programming on your station that actually gets people to call up networks and say, I want to be in more homes, that's really valuable to you. So if impact fans are vocal enough, that could actually help pursuits penetration. And there's a value to a pursuit type channel for that. In addition, if their ratings are good and they moved up in the network there and they can get higher ad buys, that's also valuable. So the investment that a pursuit might make, I I know it's most people see this as doom and gloom. It's really bad for impact. I can spin it and say that there might be a scenario where this is very valuable for a TV network because you're basically making it a little bit more strengthened on both advertising, on on coverage, on penetration, on distribution, all these things. Now, do I really think that's going to happen in 2019? Do I really think that wrestling fans alone are enough to drive you know, 28 million to 70 million homes? Probably not.
1: I mean, think about what the Probably viewership not. was and, and has been for Impact lately, what, 200,000? Even if every one of those 200,000 people called up their, their cable provider and said, hey, make sure I have uh, Pursuit. That's uh, out of the 28 million homes that they have, that's, that's less than
0: 1%. And I think there was a, a tidbit in the Observer a few months ago about Impact working with some new TV distribution partner, um, like, uh, I don't want to call them dealers, but like organizations. And their job is basically to go out there and sell programming like that to other countries of the world, find people that want to distribute this product. And so I do think that impact is probably in a new rebuilding period where they're trying to do that. They're looking for the next Sony India deal and you're not going to get the Sony India deal, but maybe you can get 10 deals that together equal half the Sony India deal. So, you know, impact is, I I think we're going to see a year where they're just going to continue to try to push all the different other places in the world that they can sell their product. And who knows if this is a long-term deal or not for the U S the last thing I'd say is impact got, I wouldn't say screwed, but it doesn't help you whenever you move your time slot. That's not good for your product. And so the fact that pop started doing that to them really signals how that relationship in my mind was beginning to deteriorate, or at least that there was not going to be continuation of it. Mm-hmm. So in, in a certain sense, if you're doing that, why not start running ads for era lucha on your show? Because if they'll pay you or you can erase some debt doing that, what does it hurt you to just run ads and start erasing your debt? If you're showing it on a network that is you're already know, you're going to leave. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting, but yeah, that was a big I, that John pop commercial thing was just hidden in the daily update yesterday on on Figure Four, and I was like, oh, that's actually really relevant. And the same thing with kudos to Mike Johnson. I think, um, yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of times there's these other stories out there, especially Mike Johnson has done a really good job of covering a lot of this impact stuff. He's been covering you know the lawsuit with Jeff Jarrett and other stuff. So um, you know, it's always important we give kudos to guys that are out there doing the hard work. Can I give a Kairos lawsuit update? Sure. So, uh, not a lot of interesting lawsuit stuff going on right now. Um, the only one that's really intriguing is that there's the second court of appeals and, uh, Kairos basically filed all his CT lawsuits and he filed like individual appeals for each of the different cases. So there's seven different cases that ended up being filed and basically WWE and Kairos are arguing over whether or not you can consolidate this into a single appeal. Kairos says basically, yes, we should for judicial economy to upright the rights of the parties. And because basically the claims are all the same claims. And WWE is saying, no, you cannot because you, the, the, the court lacks appellate jurisdiction over six of the seven appeals. And some of that has to do with the timing of it, which is basically arguments either around Hey, you originally filed in Oregon for the Haynes thing. And just the fact that it moved to Connecticut doesn't mean that you can appeal out of Connecticut. And some of it's around the fact that the statute of limitations was two years ago when you, when you basically lost this case and it was discontinued and you didn't appeal then. So it's too late for you to do anything with. So it's just been a funny kind of back and forth. And so, um, on the 18th, I tweeted a bunch about this and I put both the, the, The motions for and the motions against um up on unscribed and you can read them uh so you know one is called the opposition to the motions to amend captions and the other is called the reply and support of motions to amend captions um and it's it's very funny when like kairos has his part here this is wholly unnecessary and a frivolous flurry of motion practice that is nothing more than an unwarranted second bite at the apple so I was very amused by the language, you know, a seemingly harmless procedural motion. Uh, and then WWE is very like, you know, emphatic responses. And so, uh, I bring it up, not because I think our fans are as big of, um,
1: is that McDivitt second bite of the a apple? big fan
0: as I am second bite of the apple. Have is that, that, Ma- that, is that McDivitt saying that though? No, that was, that was Kairos responding. That was to, Kairos. Um, okay. Uh, responding to McDivitt's okay. uh, claims. So, but it, the, the infighting on this case is enormous. There is animosity between mm-hmm. McDivitt and Kairos at a level that most of the time you don't, you, you do read a lot of lawyers say, wow, McDivitt was a, was a bulldog, mm-hmm. but you don't read a lot where, where he says the things that he said in print about like trying to disbar Kairos.
1: Is it, is it true that, uh, McDivitt and Kyros, this is all a big build so that McDivitt and Kairos can meet at WrestleMania in a,
0: in a concussion match. So McDivitt and Kairos are going to be the seconds for the Young Bucks versus Jim Cornette, uh, feud. And yeah, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a big, big win. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that either. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought again, um, if you're a lawyer, please, you know, read through it, give me some more insight. It took me, gosh, a, a while to read, because this is a really technical back and forth. One of the weirder ones, you know, amend the motion captions, that it took me a little while to like figure out, what are they arguing over? Why are they arguing over this? Mm-hmm. But uh, it makes more sense now that I finally can boil it down. But uh, again, kind of the flowerly language and the the personal attacks um, as as... <laughs> Weird as they are, they, they can be kind of entertaining in their own sense because of the poetry of, yeah. of, of the argument. So legal poetry, uh,
1: personal attacks,
0: flowery language. There, I mean, that's, there, that's high comedy. There's, there's a hell of an ebook to be written here. Uh, you could even publish it in actual physical print. That's how good this, this
1: could you is. Oh, wait? Could you adapt this as a, as a theater drama with all the flowery language and poetry?
0: I think it could be a fringe play. Okay. Um, uh, you know, and you could have it's, violence. It's, you
1: could have unprotected chair shots, and you
0: know. but no, I think I think like honestly, the WWE legal drama is so confusing to everyone that no one bothers to cover it. Yeah. But in a sense, it is one of the most important stories in all of professional wrestling. Is what is going to happen with CT legislation? What is going to happen with uh, the rights and responsibilities of promoters to understand the health benefits and challenges? And we're seeing all the other major leagues go through it, and WWE in some ways has avoided. Almost all of the repercussions that the NFL, water polo, NHL, uh, even like NBA have like started to go down. And so it's, it's kind of stunning in a sense that they have been able to avoid it. And it's only going to come back to bite MMA and wrestling in the ass in the future. If you, if you continue to ignore it forever. But they're doing so
1: well so far, right? Like they, they claim that they told people about this or they didn't really know about it and you know, They didn't know about it before and withhold the information.
0: I think they are doing well in the sense that they take it seriously. Now, I think what is really intriguing and maybe this is a good segue into our next story about the biggest stories of the year, the Brian Daniel story. Um, Danielson is like, here's a guy that they flagged and said he is unfit to wrestle because of brain damage. Mm -hmm. And then they changed their mind and they said he can go wrestle. And in a sense, it's fascinating because it's, it's all the heart of the arguments that are going around CTE. Can you diagnose it while someone's alive? Mm-hmm. Can you, can you, do you have the right to take someone out of, of their contract and, and take them off television or take them off of uh, working if they do that? Is there actually a, a, a protocol we have that's in place today to deal with people so that we can monitor them in real life? Is there uh, have we been employing this similarly for all wrestlers or are we only doing it when a guy is for instance on the verge of signing a new contract with somebody else yeah
1: is, is, it, is it as simple as a balance you know you know weighing the decision between do we want daniel bryan to be available to a competitor or or you know, what's what's scarier to us you know putting him in the ring and the liability that that presents or is it more scary to let him out of his contract and then be signed by a competitor and they decided yeah. it's scarier for him to be signed by a competitor. So we'll take the other
0: risk. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to me that just, you know, um, from a risk analysis standpoint for a business and then on the flip side from a, what are we learning about medical science business? I do think that WWE takes some of this seriously. And I think some of it, they, they recognize it's an impossible risk wrestling with no head bumps is not wrestling. Like at a certain point you you could not do a physical sport and not have risk. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have a risk by guys being making contact with each other. And the more you're going to push it to be a serious wrestling environment where they have to take bumps in real time in front of a real audience and a real ring, it, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. I the, mean, the a the guy only way can,
1: to avoid risk altogether is to do nothing. You're taking a risk right now with your voice by having this podcast.
0: Well, I take a risk every day. I step in here and try to pronounce these words. This is true. Pronounce them. Pronounce them. Brian Daniel, yeah. whoever we're talking about here. Rousey Rhonda. And her, her good friend, Lynchie Beck.
1: I'm looking forward to running down this Wrestle Kingdom show and uh, having you pronounce the, all, the, all the Japanese names. Can't wait.
0: What are you going to do when I meet all these guys at the show and they all refer to me as, as you know, I, I called. So I called uh, Japan this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was like, look, I'm going to be at the airport. Can you get some extra security so that I can get through without, you know, I can only sign so many autographs in an hour. Can, mm-hmm. can we get this all taken care of? Mm-hmm. And so I called, um, I called a hotel and I've been trying to book a room in this hotel. I, I needed an extra room for, for one night. So I was like, I was trying to book it. And every time I would go to book it, the website would just seize up on me and it would just basically say, please wait. And then nothing would ever happen. And part of me couldn't tell if, is it cause my credit card was like basically rejecting cause I had that problem when I tried to buy tickets in the past or what. So I just was like, I'll call them. Well, I, I learned that my phone does not call Japan. So then I had to go through a whole rigmarole of, okay, get international calling and get um, a deal so that when I land there, I can use my phone, all that. So that was fine. I, I did all that. And I, um, I called them and then I had to like give and spell my name. And I felt so bad because like I called the front desk at one in the morning and tried to set a reservation up with them because it was, you know, 11 o'clock my time. Yeah, but a so hotel. Um, there's people awake at all. There is. Like, and it's a very, and, and you know, but then at the same time, you're like, okay, I'm not only just calling you at one in the morning, I'm calling you and then I'm in English trying to book a room. You know, it's not the easiest thing for, you don't know can. if the all night clerk has perfect English and can yeah, deal with all of this. They probably get things like that all the time though, right? Uh, but, but anyway. Yeah, but I, exactly. It was a very big hotel. So I knew that they would be able to deal with it. So it was just very entertaining to hear, you know, how they butchered my name. And I thought, ah, oh, we're going to go to a place where. We'll both be on equal, equal ground here yes. for, feel, for
1: you feel comforted.
0: Yeah. But it was, it was funny. And then, so I, I spell out my name, I give them my phone number and I tell them when I want to stay and they're like, okay. I was like, do you, do you need anything else? Do you need a credit card? Do you know? They're like, no, goodbye. <laughs> like, it was very, it was just very funny where like, it, like literally the, it's one of these things where like, here's the cancellation policy. But then they were like, but they never took any payment information for me. So it was just very funny, like, well, what's the cancellation policy if you don't actually have any of my credit card details, but I think it's just an honor system that I will show up and, 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 uh, take this room. So yeah, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll
1: bill you at the end. You'll pay then or something.
0: Yeah. But they don't have any information. They don't know my address. They have, like, literally they just took my name and phone number. That was it. Hmm. So it was just very amusing, but, uh, um, I don't remember how uh, on the topic of pronunciations, I guess. Yes. So Um, also in that post wrestling rundown, they, they had a a category called biggest story of the year and they had their voters vote and there's about 366 votes that came in. Um, it'll be interesting too, to see how this jives with the wrestling observer awards and, you know, they, they don't have a necessarily a biggest story of the year category but they have some of the other you know things you know promotion promoter of the year and things like most discussed disgusting promotional tactic that fit into some of these things i I think i would argue it's different than biggest i
1: think the top vote getter in this category that we're talking about will be the top vote getter in the most disgusting promotional tactic category
0: so i think there's maybe four or five major themes here that came out of of the top voting getting things so number one why don't you read off um one, two, three, four, five, six. So the read off the first six.
1: So number one with 75 votes is the W crown jewel controversy. Number two is the all in announcement sellout and event itself. Number three is Roman Reigns leukemia diagnosis. Number four is WWE's Fox TV rights deal. Number five, Daniel Bryan clear to wrestle. And number six, Ronda Rousey coming to WWE to wrestle.
0: And I think most of the rest ones below them are kind of offshoots of those things number the next number seven was all elite wrestling number eight was becky lynch number nine was elite contract speculation number nine tied was madison square garden for ring of honor in new japan and number 10 was bullet club civil war so i think the all elite wrestling and the elite contract speculation tie into the all-in story Mm -hmm. um as a a natural extension Mm -hmm. the roh and new japan madison square garden show is somewhat of an offshoot of the all-in because you could argue that it was the success of seeing a non-WWE event sell out so quickly that it proved the viability of of running a big wrestling show. Though you would make a pretty strong differentiation between ROH and New Japan and all-in um, in terms of they're very different organizations that are kind of backing and running that, even though there's some crossover on talent and some completely different talent. And Bullet Club Civil War is more of a New Japan storyline, but is obviously very tied into the elite and to New Japan. And it kind of crosses again in that Venn diagram. It, it crosses into that all in and into that ROH, uh, New Japan story in mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. So, um, so looking at this, uh, I think the first thing that jumps out is this is obvious, obviously a very North American centric story list. You know, there are other stories going on in Japan, in, in Mexico and in Europe that aren't really part of this list. You know, the rise of WWE UK, um, and the the foundation of that brand didn't make this list, but you could argue in some other parts of the world, that's probably one of the biggest stories. If you're in the UK or Germany, that's probably one of the biggest things on your mind. Um, the, you know, what, what's happened. I don't follow Mexico close enough to really speculate too heavily on it, but you know, I, I do think that kind of the evolution of the restrictions of cmll and aaa in some ways kind of falling down where in the past it was like you will never work for cmll if you're working for these guys and then we're seeing that now you know you're seeing guys like la park and you're seeing uh penta and and phoenix and guys working more than one of these companies and you know being able to jump around from kind of promotion to promotion and, and have some some success there uh obviously new japan uh their incredible year you know, bringing in Chris Jericho to kind of kick off the year. It's hard to believe it was just last year that I think Chris Jericho had his first New Japan match, right?
1: Of this modern era. His first match in New Japan was with Kenny Omega on January 4th of this year. And I think they did the angle in in December. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I mean, basically you kickstarted his New Japan modern career in the last 12 months. Yeah. And that's pretty, that's pretty incredible when you think about that. I would say that's a huge story is that, you know, you've revitalized the importance of Chris Jericho in the world. And enough that he was able to run a cruise, enough that he was able to, you know, kind of have different companies bidding for him. He did crop, and, he did, um, the greatest Royal Rumble. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, he was huge. Same with Rey Mysterio. You know, Rey Mysterio was able to kind of leverage different deals and go back to WWE and, and be a big deal. But, um, the, the story that is lost on here that I would say is, is a big story too, um, is related to number four, WWE Fox TV rights but is WWE stock price. WWE stock price rocketing into the mid nineties is a huge story because that brought them more attention than anything else they did this year from a certain segment of the press. There would not have been stories in the wall street journal and even in daily beast and things like that as much, if they had not had a skyrocketing stock price that suddenly had them landing on mad money and other people's radars constantly. I think
1: the Daily Beast still would have taken
0: that story because, I think of, because
1: of the Khashoggi angle.
0: Mm-hmm. Which, you know, but I just mean from from a, a revenue standpoint, that is an enormous deal. Because you could also say, um, what's also funny about this is, wasn't the XFL announcement this year?
1: It was, it was on January 25th. Yes, it was. But, you know, things earlier in the calendar might be disadvantaged.
0: Yeah. And, and it's just another one where you'd say, well, what's relevant about that? Well, Vince sold a whole lot of stock. And then the sky, the stock skyrocketed and he sold some more stock recently, but you know, he, he had an opportunity loss of probably three X by the time he sold the stock versus where it went. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just goes to show you this Fox deal is just so enormous for them. Um, but at the same time, what's funny about it is it doesn't take effect until Q4 of next year. Right. And so
1: and it's, it, not it's so funny that we Fox. think about it now. It's not just what they're getting from Fox. I mean, the the, the Fox is the new part of it. They're they're going to keep raw on USA Network, but USA
0: also gave them a big upgrade too. Yeah, and it they went back to bifurcating their uh, TV deals. You know, for so many years, SmackDown was a network program where you could watch it on CW or on UPN or on other stations, and it was only in the last couple renewals that it ended up on Sci Fi and then USA. And for years, I always argued that that really was a a disservice to your audience is that if you cannot watch this programming unless you have a cable package, you are, you're, you're, you're beginning to put yourself into a tier where you're going to have trouble finding new fans because there's one of the things that I think made SmackDown so successful was it could be a program that was watched with, for, you know, in, in the one time when it was rated so highly in the Hispanic households. I think a big part of that was the fact that it was available on net network and it was not, you didn't need a cable package. And that, you know, they did tell a programming with, with uh, Eddie and Dominic and Ray Mysterio, but it was successfully reaching a different audience and and really uh, creating its own brand awareness. And I think that's really relevant. Um And And then when they went away from that, I just thought, wow, you're putting all your chips in USA Network's hands so that the moment NBCU says, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't want this. You're, you're out and you're, you're out hat in hand going to people trying to beg for, for money. And so I think it's really good that they're, they're by, you know, that they're really spreading their, their wings. And it's incredible that not only do they do that, but on top of that, they were very successful at doing that because they could have taken a very low money Fox deal. And I still would have said that's the right move for them. If they were given a deal of a hundred million a year, that still would have been a great deal for them. The fact they got probably 205 AAV annual average value. That's incredible. And on top of that, you can't tell the Fox story without telling the UFC story. The UFC story is they sold for 4 billion. They get this high valuation. They have all this debt to service and they go around and they tell everybody, Hey, I am with this much. And if you don't offer me a deal this much, I'm not going to take it. And, Fox just finally said, I'm not going to offer you a deal that much. And they had to go elsewhere and they ended up fine with ESPN and, and, and the ESPN plus deal, but you can make a strong argument that basically they burned their bridge at Fox and Fox was able to swoop in and say, you know what? We have 300 million. We're not going to spend on UFC. Do you do we want to spend 200 million on WWE? I don't think for a second that the, the deal goes quite as well with, for WWE, if Fox had hired UFC. Or, or retained UFC
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and W probably doesn't make a, a similar deal. doesn't get leverage for a deal because of ESPN's availability by not having UFC. You know what I mean? Like in an alternate scenario where ESP, you know, where Fox or UFC stays with Fox and ESPN is looking for programming. It, it doesn't work out as well for W to be on ESPN
0: and the ESPN plus platform. And this ties in a lot to story number seven, which is, um, Ronda Rousey wrestling in WWE, because there's a very strong argument that the economic value of Ronda Rousey is not in her actual in-ring performance, but in the perception she generated for WWE at the time. That just the idea of saying Ronda Rousey is part of our deal, that's why you should give us a great Fox deal. That's important to the Fox executives. They see Ronda and Brock and people like that. And what's been funny is I know Dave was just mentioning this is that the differential has been for years. The assumption was, well, Ronda Rousey's going to show up and women that like Ronda Rousey that were impressed by her in MMA and who are casual fans would come and go when she was, when she was fighting, we'll be able to capture those same fans when she comes to wrestling, because they'll be really interested in seeing her do this. And the reality is that doesn't look to be translating. It does not look like the female audience is growing in WWE land this year. And particularly you cannot necessarily tie that to Ronda Rousey's success or failure. And it just suggests that, you know, Dave, Dave hypothesized it as the women view wrestling as fake and as, as something that is not an endeavor that they care about. In the same way, it would be arguing, oh, women are going to go watch movies with Ronda Rousey in it because they, they care about Ronda Rousey. And you could say, no, they're not. They, they like movies that are good. And if she's not in a good movie, they're not going to bother seeing it. So if she's not in a good wrestling, promotion they're not going to go see it i'm not saying wwe is bad but i'm just saying to a ufc fan it just might not translate because they don't feel like they're going to be that interested in ronda rousey the wrestler as much as they are in ronda rousey the ass-kicking mma champion of the world yeah
1: in that variety article there's a story about how at the meeting with fox w's meeting with Fox, they have some image in the background of ronda rousey picking up triple h on her shoulders as they made this deal
0: yeah. So I, I, I think that, you know, as we go through all these different stories here that these stories have all these kind of ins and outs and connections to each other. Um, the Becky Lynch story is in a sense, the, um the counter example or the, the rebuke, right. Is to say you invested all this money in Ronda Rousey. You invested all this effort into Charlotte flair by having her go over Oscar at WrestleMania and make that a big deal. And yet the breakout star of the year is Becky Lynch. And she gets that way partially by uh, just being the right personality at the right time with absolutely the most legitimate type of credibility that she created around herself. And I think that's so big is authenticity is something that people are seeking and wrestling. And the more authentic you you can come across on that screen, the better it is. And so, you know, as awful as it is that Nia Jax, you know, basically busts her open There seems like there's nothing more authentic than seeing a woman, you know, broken nose going out there still shooting her mouth off kind of like a Steve Austin type heel where people just look at it and say, that's the kind of badassery that I can get behind. Yeah, I I
1: think Becky Lynch's rise to greater stardom in the last several months is like an example of how so many others could have gotten over if – if W was just more willing to ride a wave and just, like, I would say, allow people to get over. And uh, I, I don't know that she's even as over as she could possibly be, especially after watching, like, the the TLC thing, and you've got, like, Ronda Rousey marching out there to be a face to, to screw over Charlotte and Becky. It, it, there's still really weird stuff that seems, like, inconsistent with maximizing how over people can get. Uh, and I think there's just so many people who could be... St- stars could be breakout stars the way that Becky Lynch has. And she could be a breakout star even more than she already is. And, and not, not by like going way above and beyond and, and, ha- you know, doing outstanding, amazing ideas with awesome booking and everything, but just by, I don't know, WB not being as stifling, just to, to creating stars
0: as they are. And, and it just goes to resonate about, you know, the value of a star is not the value of them on, on paper, because I, I, betcha the differential on payment between Becky and Ronda is at least seven X, mm-hmm. maybe even 10 X. But the value that Becky's bringing to the brand right now is probably equal. Right. Yeah. In some ways. And yeah. it's just fascinating to me. I mean, like I said, when I went to the NXT show, I sat next to a guy who had a bootleg Becky Lynch shirt. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's how, what, when you start seeing that, that's when you realize things are getting over The Same way bullet club was getting over the same way I see it with the young bucks merch. You know, it. you can't, you can't manufacture it. You can only harness it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really interesting for me. Um, the leukemia diagnosis with Roman Reigns. I mean, talk about the most bizarre shot to go across the ball of of saying you got a top star. You have transitions going on between Brock Lesnar and other people. And then trying to decide how do you kind of position this Roman Reigns character as your top face in the company and your new star that you've created. And then at the same time, having a a devastating diagnosis of, of something of such a serious medical condition, hitting a guy like that in the middle of it. And then, you know, basically being forced to just kind of make it disappear. And then of course the the questions around, you know, actually using it in storylines and whatnot, which you can be disgusted at, but you can also say that's pretty much the history of wrestling in a nutshell. Very rarely does that sort of thing not get used in a wrestling storyline at some point or another.
1: But that doesn't make it okay. Just because lots of people do bad things, it doesn't mean that bad things are less bad because lots of people do
0: them. I agree. I'm just making the point that I, 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 I struggle sometimes to think of companies... That have a national stage that don't, in some way, make a stupid storyline out of it. They did it with Jim Duggan on WCW. For sure. and they and did that's... it with the Von Erichs in Texas. They've yeah. done it with so many people,
1: and that's why it's one of the reasons why pro wrestling has such a scummy reputation and has had so such trouble over the years of obtaining good sponsors and high ad rates. And it's why the and, lo- audience and, and for it is limited in the way that it is.
0: Yeah, and it's it's such such a it's a conundrum in the sense that. I think they see it as if we don't mention it, then we're not, you know, we're not harnessing the opportunity there. But at the same time, it it does not usually play out in a way that we actually want to. No, it puts um, it
1: puts heat on the people who produce the program rather than puts heat on the the characters that are involved because the people who are making those decisions aren't really well in touch with what's with with the way that the audience really works in 2018. They're they're like living in 1983 where you can blind Junkyard Dog and that's going to be cool. It was a pretty cool angle, though. In 1983, or whenever that was, 82, maybe 81. It's getting know.
0: his. It's 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 driving his resurgence on the uh the ballots every year. And I voted for Junkyard Dog. Not this year. I, I didn't, you, I, I didn't I vote th- at all. I thought you forgot to vote.
1: I did not vote this year, but the like last year, I I voted and I I voted for Junkyard Dog.
0: Is what other stories are missing from this
2: hmm.
0: list? Um, what, it, what, I mean, you know, there's things like the rise of all Japan. They, they very much have, have refixed themselves. You could say the fall of dragon gate, you know, that fact that it, it had to really recalibrate where it's gone without uh Shima there. Um, and, and, you know, Pop coming in, is seeming like it might be helping the business again, but you know, uh, the evolution of, um, just for me too, the fact that like, it, you still have this bizarreness of. The female audience was so influenced by the rise of Total Divas and Total Bellas so many years ago. And we're getting kind of that saturation point where it no longer kind of matters. And yet they're still getting renewals and they're still performing. But I, I do think that the, the enormous drops that you and I have talked about in previous shows, you know, these double digit female viewership drops of WWE, double digit percent. That's a real. Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting trend, and it really what it does is it mimics the mail drop the year before. Yeah. And so when you look at it versus a two year number, we're so far down. I mean, it's incredible how many people have disappeared from watching wrestling in the last three months compared to uh, you know four or five years ago. And it's just going to be a question of are they going to come back once the football's over? And maybe part of the way to think about it is not like I think when we
1: talk about viewership and people tuning in or tuning out, we think about it as like. These people are fans today. These people are not fans today and like they this person's no longer watching the show and maybe p- part of the way we need to think about this or the nuance that we need to add to our thoughts about this is that. There's less engagement or there's like, they're watching less of the program or maybe they're still kind of following WWE, but they're following it through like social media posts or, you know, they get the, they hear about what happens, they read about what happens, they scroll past the news about what happens on their social media feeds. So they don't have to sit down and watch this three or two hour program or maybe they watch like 20, 30 minutes of it and they get the gist of it or they get, get enough of it that they want, but they're not so passionate about it or so drawn into it and engaged in it that they want to sit down and give all of their time to it, the whole
0: two, three hours. The number one story of the year, WWE crown jewel controversy. Mm -hmm. I think this underplays a little bit because I wouldn't even call it the crown jewel controversy. I would call it the Saudi Arabia WWE deal because this overshadows the fact that, A, when the Greatest Royal Rumble was run, it was controversial. We were already... Sounding alarms about this, and it was signed about Vision twenty twenty money and or twenty thirty money and all the other things that they they were doing and yeah. crackdowns and rights and Sami Zayn not being allowed to wrestle on the show allegedly. Yeah, this was morally things.
1: fraught before the Saudi government killed Jamal Khashoggi.
0: Yes, and and that's what I would just want to remind people of is that they announced a big deal and they went with it and they were criticized from the start. The mainstream media didn't pick up on this until. The Khashoggi angle, right? And at that point, it was a very easy story to kind of start to really reflect and say, look, this is a great example of an all American company, taking Saudi money, running a show, and then even making it seem like they're doing PR propaganda for this come for this in the middle of their show. So I would I would I would even expand it out a little bit beyond crown jewel. I understand the con- saying that that's the biggest story because it is the biggest w- single flashpoint. but I would say it's the entire relationship between Saudi Arabia and WWE and then all the ramifications. Let's think about that. This included the, 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 uh, the, the jingoistic, uh, xenophobic angle that they ran on the show, putting people in danger to the point where they were getting death threats to show up and pretend to be Iranian wrestlers for the mm-hmm. Tavari brothers. Yeah. This included, um, you know, running tryouts in saudi arabia and hiring saudi arabian athletes to be part of your your thing here and kind of putting forward the idea that riyadh might be one of the places that you might expend nxt to which is is very much a well they're willing to pay for it type thing um no women you know and no women being allowed on this show except for renee young being allowed to commentate um all the other just ramifications and discussions about it you know Uh, it's, it's been fascinating in some sense, you could say the complete tone deaf response to the crown jewel controversy by, by ending up just them basically saying, we're going to barrel down. We made a decision. We went with it and not taking accountability.
1: It was a difficult decision. They said, but ultimately it was a business decision, which seems to me to say that we don't really have any, any moral reflection here but but business is a, is the more important thing to us than any moral consideration even though we celebrate ourselves as this philanthropic uh com, you know company that's so concerned with the community and doing you know things for charity and hugging kids with cancer and celebrating with troops but this was a difficult decision but ultimately it was a business decision it's a difficult decision to decide whether or not to condone the killing of a journalist
0: and and ultimately they're going to get away with it because i i do think that the heat is off them i do think that until they have the next you know, event in Saudi Arabia uh until, until basically until the Q4 results come off, people are going to talk about this less and less. When the Q4 results come out, then people are going to once again, raise the flag to say, Hey, how much of this was from Saudi Arabia? Hey, how much of these attendance numbers are driven by this? And
1: yeah, I mean, we will, that'll be the end of February around
0: then yeah. we get an idea of how much money they made from crown jewel. Um, And it will be a big question about whether they go back right after WrestleMania, like they did last year, or whether, you know, the new deal might not be necessarily two events a year, whether it's more staggered or something else. We
1: probably should have prepared for this, but I think the observer reported
0: that they're going to go there twice next year, May and fall. So, you know, just, I, I do think that it's, it's the whole Saudi Arabia deal. And then you can also link that to Paul Levesque's global localization plan. He announced it at the, the business partner summit. He said, I'm going to do this. And so far, what do they do? Well, they held tryouts in Chile. They announced NXT UK. They started hiring German athletes. They held tryouts in Germany. They hired, I think, wasn't Walter signed to the NXT UK deal, but out of Germany. I believe so. Um They they just held. They just announced they were going to hold tryouts in India. I don't remember if they held them or not yet.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> About I I think well or or I could say like it. <laughs> hi Alexa. <laughs> Oh, right. we are joined now by our special guest, Amazon's Alexa. Oh, Siri, actually. Siri, who's your favorite professional wrestler?
0: <laughs> Siri's far enough away. She cannot hear this question.
1: But NXT and global localization, I think, is kind of related to maybe a, a, another story that you could say is one of the biggest stories of 2018 in that it's become a really good time to be a a really good pro wrestler. And talent, the value on talent has increased. Demand on talent has increased as WWE is expanding the roster. And uh, all these companies are signing more and more wrestlers to contracts.
0: And everybody has a streaming service. Yeah, I mean, there's a streaming service for New for New Japan, All Japan, ROH, uh, uh, WWE, obviously, um, Stardom, mm-hmm. and then all the European groups, you know. And that's not a new it's... thing in 2018. Uh, the Ring of Honor one is. But I just mean everybody has a streaming service now. So you can be anywhere in the world and you can pretty much follow any wrestling in the world. Yeah, It's pretty remarkable how, how far we've come on that. And to a degree, I think that all in and whatnot can't be done unless you're in a world where you can buy digital pay-per-views anywhere in the world and you can have YouTube shows that people can watch from around the world and they can help make you a star.
1: That's right. Digital media doesn't matter. Social media doesn't matter though. Well,
0: it, it doesn't ultimately, when you have to pay a creditor, you cannot just say to them every time, I'll pay you back in pursuit TV ads. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, but it can get you enough distribution so that you can sell something that is worth something though.
0: We will see. I think that's a big question about all in, right? You could argue that all in and I'm sorry, all all elite wrestling, Mm -hmm. a lot of their value is basically predicated on the concept that the value of these wrestlers from the elite is big enough that you can get them a mainstream deal in the United States that is going to be relevant.
1: So this is what, I, what I'm hearing you say. If All Elite Wrestling signs a good TV deal, then
0: social media matters. Brandon is being surly here. Um Brandon, you sent a note to Grapplers Anonymous all about why you think 2019 will be the year of years. Tell us about that.
1: Uh Well, I th- I think in 2019, to paraphrase what I said here, I think um, it's going to be a year of great change for wrestling, and I think you know, the last few years, especially in this like OTT era, you know, we're talking about maybe next week we'll do this show about how uh, between 2014 and the present wrestling has changed so much uh, because of video streaming and because of social media. Um, but I think next year could be you know even more radical because we've got an increasing number of companies sign increasing number of wrestlers to contracts, which is driving up the demand in my view for, for wrestlers, especially if you're a good wrestler. Um, so I just told him in the, in the years that, yeah.
0: Look at Bandito, like great Bandito. example of a guy that kind of came out of the blue. Um, you know, I think the Bucks saw him wrestling on YouTube and were just like, let's see this guy and kind of brought him forward. And you know, he was one of the big stars. You, you would have seen that all in, and by the end of the year, he's signed by Ring of Honor and has a deal with them. We saw him
1: at the uh, WrestleCon Super Show.
0: But um Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it, there's never been a better time to be a pro wrestler. And I think, you know, all these people are being signed to contracts. And I told the, the wrestlers who train at Grapplers that I think it's inevitable that people who train with us will eventually be looked at for contracts, especially if they continue to work hard. And if nothing else, you've got all these top indies. They've been sort of like looted of of the star power that they used to be able to book and, and draw crowds with or draw buzz with. So all these top indies are looking for new wrestlers. You, I mean, all you got to do almost is like look at Twitter and look at what what these wrestling promoters and what the wrestling promotion Twitter accounts are asking. Like, who who, who are the breakout stars of 2019? Because they know oh,
0: Cody just asked that.
1: There you go. Because because all these people know, all these decision makers know that. All this talent is getting eaten up, whether it's by WWE or whoever, and they need to find out who's, who are the next people that I can get a hold of that I can make some buzz with. So if you're a pro wrestler right now, and, and you're, you're working hard and you love pro wrestling, you want to make pro wrestling, you know, your full-time job, I think now is a great time. I, I told them as long as any of us have been wrestling, I've been in wrestling for 15 years, and there's never been a better time than right now for many reasons, and most of all this one, to be a pro wrestler because now is a time where all these top indies are going to want people. All these companies above the top endies that are real contracting companies are going to want to sign people to contracts more than ever. And that drives up the price of the contract that they're going to offer you because they know they've got competitors here. It's not just W alone offering people $40,000 contracts, which I'm sure they still are, but at least there's some competition among the promotions here.
0: Um, and, and I would always say it's like writers. Does anyone ever say, oh, my God, there's too many writers out there. Uh, we we can only have we only have an economy that can support about 100 to 200 writers. And if you have more writers than that, they're just never going to make money. They're never going to get paid. And I would say no, because if you were to say, oh, what are writers? And people would say, well, that's the economy of ideas. Right. So if you're interesting, you're going to make money. And on the flip side, I feel like wrestlers are like that, where sometimes we we treat it as if it's a a limited commodity where. It's like you're mining ore, where if if too many people try to mine the ore, there's no ore left. And yet, if we treated it more like it's a creative transaction, the way we create other jobs, you wouldn't say, no, There's there's always room for more people if you have an interesting idea to add to the economy. So if you are an innovative, interesting wrestler, you should be able to add to that entire wrestling economy. And of course, there's going to be a desire for that consumption. But so often we treat it like it's just a stagnant job market that has only a certain number of quote unquote slots and that, that, you know, you're just there to fill that slot. And I don't think that's the way, the best way to look at it. So I'm, I'm excited when we say, you know, that we have to think about it even more about, you know, what do these companies represent? In my mind, they represent the opportunity for you finally to do that hunting, fishing gimmick that you love so much and for you to go to, to go to, um, impact and make that happen.
1: So Steve um, Kern should come back as Skinner. is what I'm hearing you say. Uh, but I, I think what, what's, I, I mean, I agree with all that and that if you come up with a, a, a cool enough, a unique enough, a special enough act that there will be a place for you. But I think what's driving this change is, is the changes in media. I mean, that, that, that this is, this is a Brandon Thurston talking point is that what, what, what drives, drives change, including in economies and in, in, in the world are, are changes in media. And the reason why there's all these companies now that are signing more and more wrestlers to contracts is because, Social media and video streaming technology has, has put a, a, a bigger light on a, a vaster variety of wrestlers, and they've created wrestling fans who are more able to see all different kinds of wrestling from all,
0: all different levels of the business and all different areas of the world. But I'm still going to go back to some of the fundamentals, which is number one, build relationships. As frustrating as people want this to be a meritocracy, it oftentimes is very much driven by nepotism. And one of the things you can do is you can build relationships with people and those relationships are not going to, should not be transactional relationships where you are looking for something from someone every time that you interact with them. And if you build those relationships to be authentic and honest and helpful, you will be paid back in kind over time. And I speak from this, from, from my 10 to 15 years of experience in the wrestling industry, which is. Um, 15 years ago, I was much more of a indie upstate wrestler fan person interacting with people. And then 10 years ago and five years ago, I kind of transitioned more into this, this journalist reporter, statistician analyst role. And through that, I collected a lot of people that I interacted with where they would say, Hey, can I use this? Hey, can I do this? Hey, Hey, can you help me on this? And by going through the effort of helping those people. And saying, here's what I uh, learned. Here's where I do it. The, I'm dr- not making it a secret, not being terrified that if someone else out there does wrestling statistics, I'm out of a job, but rather saying, if I can teach you how to do this, maybe we can both be better at this in the future. Mm-hmm. And so instead of treating it like it's a secret art, that if I share it with someone, it, it diminishes my value in the marketplace, rather seeing it as the more good work that's done in this marketplace, the more it magnifies the opportunity that's there for everyone. I think that's important. And I think the biggest thought is you have to build those relationships. This past year here, I've called on more of those relationships than I ever have in, in the last 10 years combined in order to answer questions and get help. And it makes it so much easier that when I go say, Hey, I want to go to an NXT show. Someone will just reach out to me and say, Hey, I've got a ticket. I, I'm not going to use it. Would you like that ticket? And that's really kind of them to do, but it also uh, goes a long way of of helping me just kind of develop, um, what I need to get done in this world. And I did not ever think of it as I'm investing in doing this and this is going to benefit me immediately. But now when I need that help, I can rely on those people. You can probably hear my wife behind me, uh, like taking down boxes for some reason. Yeah. I think you're, we're, we're on
1: a big delay here.
0: We are. So, um, the next part is, uh, New York state is obviously seeing a resurgence due to this wrestling economy, right?
1: Uh, New York state and governor Andrew Cuomo came out with a, a big statement related to the, to the New York state athletic commission, uh,
0: going over he all said the, It was corrupt backwards and needs to be reformed greatly and join the 21st century, right? That would be true, but he did not say that. Uh, oh. he.
1: he I think basically the gist of this is, is to say, hey, look, MMA is drawing all this money for us. It's great for the state. And uh, by the way, wrestling's not hurt by this either. Uh, we've got uh, $18 million compared to $17.9 million. Read,
2: read, read, read his quote. Okay, read,
1: read everything. This is under the section called Wrestling Slash Other. Regulated wrestling and other events continue to be popular across the state as well, with more than 200 events taking place over the past four years. Total revenue generated in the two years before and after the legalization of MMA remained consistent, between eighteen point zero five million and seventeen point nine one million. Uh, that's dollars. Taxes to New York State stabilized, going from five hundred eighty-seven dollars and two hundred. I don't know how to how to read six-figure numbers. Five
0: hundred eighty-six. Oh shit! How do you read that number? Five hundred eighty-seven thousand to five hundred twenty-eight thousand. I can't read big numbers on podcasts. I get I get too nervous.
1: Five hundred. 570, 587,264 to 527,724. Did I say that right? <coughs> anyway. You did,
0: but let's just round up because it's much easier. 580 to 528.
1: I'll edit all of this. The number of events remained steady as well. uh 98 increasing to 100 with a 10% increase in tickets sold from 275,000 to 303,000.
0: Okay. So let's be clear here. That's a two year number on each of those two sides.
1: I'm not really even so, sure, sure what that means. That's, that's really confusing language. I don't know if he's referring to like 2015 and 16 or, and then 2017 and 18. I don't know.
0: Yes. So I think that's exactly what he's doing. So he says 200 events over four years. So that implies an average of 50 events a year. Yeah. So when he says the number of events remains steady, 98 to 100, he's talking about the two year number because he's combining two years before and two years after. So he's basically saying there's about 50 "quote unquote" wrestling events a year in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. We know that is way under the number of actual wrestling events in upstate New York because I'm sure between Rochester, Buffalo, and Syracuse alone, you guys probably run at least 30 events a year. Yeah, sounds about and right. and that and 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 WWE we know runs at least 20 to 30 events a year in New York. So that's way under. Um, the next thing with the number of tickets sold, 275,000, 300,000, again, two year number. So it's only 150,000 you'd have to get in the last two years here. Mm-hmm. And of that 150,000, we know that, for instance, when they run Barclays for like four or five nights, you know, that's going to be 10,000 times four, 10,000 times five. That's going to be 40,000 of that one, 150. And that leaves about 110 over the next, uh, let's say 40 events which is still like 3,000 an event, but, you know, they do run house shows that draw three to 4,000. So some of that is WWE, but you made the point to me that you don't even think any wrestling attendance is ever counted, right?
1: I don't know that any promoters in New York State ever report their attendance numbers or their gate numbers to the state. I know the state expects them to send a tax on on ticket sales to some extent, but they're not collecting a record that I know of. They're not collecting a record of what the ticket sales are or what the gate is.
0: And a couple of years ago, I did a freedom of information act to the uh, NYSAC, the New York state athletic commission for wrestling records in New York. And um, over we got like a lot of two CW emails and it was uh, painful. Um, I had to appeal probably four times because they kept coming back to me and saying, we don't have records. And I kept being like, you ran SummerSlam. You have a record of SummerSlam, don't you? Mm-hmm. And uh, they still missed lots of events. And when you read the correspondence, um, you see a lot of things that oh I estimate there's maybe this many people here. You know, like a, an inspector saying things like that. The inspectors were mostly concerned with things like, "Did was there blood pressure records taken? Is there a doctor at the show? Um, when I introduced myself, was I able to walk around? Um, and inspect things like that was pretty much what it is. The other thing is I bet you some of these tickets are very centric to like downstate. So when, um, you know, was it progress came through and did a US tour at one point in New York City? Yes. So like when the progress show ran, I bet you that one probably hit the radar because it, it's a little bit more high profile. Um, maybe some of that bar wrestling or something that goes on there, but there's a lot of other stuff that probably did not hit the radar or did not get captured. So if you're at the Manhattan Center or you're ROH doing something there, I bet you're getting captured. If you are, um, if you are 2CW or, or, uh, Brandon Championship Wrestling out of Sarasota Springs, Mm -hmm. uh, probably not. Yeah. So just interesting. Basically the way I read his statement is basically the, wow, we hate the fact that we have to regulate wrestling, but we can prove that our MMA new focus did not in fact kill it. And if you really follow the history of NISAC, it is the fight between boxing and MMA. Wrestling has rarely been part of that big fight. It's been mostly about, can I collect the big money from boxing? And then when MMA wanted to come in, did the boxing promoters kind of try to keep it out? Yeah.
1: So they should deregulate pro wrestling is what you're saying. And I agree.
0: I think that there is over-regulation in New York State in terms of not benefiting the actual results that you're going for. And yeah. instead just trying to come up with ways that you can somehow take a small cut of the money and you can create your cronian um, uh, regulations around it that are more likely to be, uh, sub subverted than to be complied with for the purposes of actually improving the benefit of the wrestlers. Yeah. It creates so the an bonds appearance. and the price and all that doesn't actually make the wrestlers any safer.
1: Yeah. And, and then the medical insurance requirement is the big one. Uh, it creates an appearance of safety, but I think there's a conflict of interest that dissuades wrestlers from ever making claims on the medical insurance. And so in the end, all it, all it really does is put a burden on promoters, which just trickle down to workers.
0: Yep. Um, so and the same with all the kind of medical tests around, you know, blood pressure and whatnot, I'm sure it's meant to really root out guys that are safe or unsafe, but it re- very rarely has actually worked to, um, you know, prevent people from working. And if anything, you know, when you, when you look at those sign in sheets, uh, becomes pretty clear that it's not always a hundred percent and it's not always, um, necessarily even people really signing for things. Yeah. Um, I did look at most matches in, uh, 2018 thus far. Um, I did this right before TLC. So this would be missing about a week of data, but it's pretty, uh, um, compelling in itself about what, what the top people were. I think I was pretty surprised to see that the top guy this year doing the most appearances in wrestling matches was Finn Balor. Um, he is the Iron Man. He is, I, I don't want to call Iron Man. Iron Man has a different definition. Iron Man means that you don't ever miss time. And, um, I don't know if that's always true with Finn, but, uh, but did, did he you, is, didn't you
1: call Jimmy or Jey Uso the Iron Man last year? And he got, he got excited about it.
0: Someone else, you know, it kept getting picked up by other wrestling media mm-hmm. and then people would kind of quote it. And so I showed up in like, you know, YouTube videos about wrestling, not uh, from, um, uh, what culture and stuff like that. But, uh, Finn Balor had the most matches this year. He's well over 160. Um, and then the next people are Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin, Nakamura, Biggie, Rusev, Kofi, AJ, Braun, and Jinder, all at about the 140 plus mark. Then the next category is, is, uh, Seamus Cesaro, Oscar, Dolph, Xavier Woods, Bailey, Roman Reigns. And now we're at the, and, uh, Bobby Roode and Becky Lynch. Now we're at the like 127 and up. And then you have like Liv Morgan, Bo Dallas, Charlotte Flair, Carmella, Alexa Bliss at 124. And again, this includes both appearances and wrestling matches. Um, Sasha Banks, Miz, Naomi, Sarah Logan at 116. I mean, whoever talks about Sarah Logan, you know, the most person working the most in the company. But uh, uh, 116 matches. Most wrestlers in the U.S. do not wrestle 116 matches a year.
1: That includes matches that Liv, Liv, uh, Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan were ringside for for, say, Ruby yeah. Riot.
0: Yeah, but but I'd say anytime you have to be traveling somewhere, mm-hmm. show up to a show and be part of that show, you're you're still expending a lot of effort to be traveling.
1: Yes, traveling and, can be hard know, on the body too.
0: Yeah. Uh And then you have like Ember Moon, one of the Singh brothers, another good example of a guy who doesn't probably wrestle all that much, but takes bumps and does other things. Jimmy Uso at 112, Elias and Drew McIntyre. So um, so these are all the people we should expect to be injured in 2019 is what you're telling me, right? I didn't know if I'm saying that exactly because I I think that that correlation has been spuriously attributed to me. What had happened is someone had asked me, does the person who wrestle the most end up injured? And so I went back and I looked at it and said, here's examples of it happening. However, what what you're doing in those is you're kind of cherry picking, because a lot of times it was the number two or the number three or the number four guy, and then he gets injured. So what I've what I try to generalize it to is if I mentioned six guys at the top and they actually are wrestling a lot, there's a very high chance that if they are on that list two years in a row, they're gonna get hurt. And the prime example of that was the guy last year who was the very top of 2017 was Mr. Dean Ambrose mm-hmm. and Dean Ambrose had approximately, let's see here. I should have it on here. Um, he fell off. So I had to take him off, but, uh, let's see if I can find the, the other tweet where, um, I said, you know, how many times has, has he wrestled in a couple of years here? Wow. I don't have it. Um, yeah, I don't have Dean on here for some reason, but he was like well over 180 I think. Uh, a couple years ago.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, there we go. I had one that I said, like, um, no, it was a different one. Well, I said the Iron Man is still Jim, Jimmy Uso. So for five plus years, he's had less than 40 days between matches. That's the definition of what I call an Iron Man is that they go for year, month after month with less than 40 days between matches. So Miz would actually be way up there, except for he took off like one or two months when he like was doing filming things. Mm-hmm. But otherwise Miz does that. The other people that do really well is Sasha. Baron Corbin, Fandango, Sinkara, the Hunico version, obviously, and a Victor. Victor's probably one of the guys that you would never think of but has been incredibly consistent. Uh, you know, he did he he has wrestled less than like, 22 day, 23 days is the most days between matches for him in 5 years. He's always out there doing stuff, but in this year I think he only wrestled like 70 times. So, I mean, it's one of those where he's out there but he's just not doing a lot. Um probably losing a lot. Yes. Uh And then you, you have other people, you have, you know, Dolph, Xavier, not Natalia, Curtis Axel, Miz, Tyler Breeze, Bailey. Um, And yeah, you, you do find that there's a lot that goes on with like the Dean Ambrose's of the world where they wrestle a ton for several years in a row and suddenly they get injured. We saw that with Cesaro before that. And we've seen that with other people where they get hurt. Um, You know, Luke Harper was up there for a while there about like number of, of months with consecutive matches and then he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So is there a correlation it's hard to say i run you know some stats on it and i didn't really find a very high p value on in, in like actually saying yes this is you're more likely to get hurt if you do lots of this i kind of came up with something that said maybe there's a threshold where if you do more than x amount of matches you're very likely to move into that category and i think it was about 150 or something was like kind of my 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 uh, flip over point was once you pass the one mark you're, you're increasing your chances to get hurt in the future especially if you do that in consecutive years. But, you know, do I think Baron Corbin's going to get hurt just because he did a year where he did, you know, 165, 167, 150 last three years here? I don't know, because it really matters is Baron Corbin doing full style that is really going to get him hurt, or is he just running out there and losing in 10-second matches?
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure it's different for everyone. But if nothing else, the number of times that you're in the ring, it increases the number of times that you're exposed to, if nothing else, accident injury, if not wear and tear.
0: Yeah. And I've also proposed that this might be something we have to calculate based on singles matches versus tag matches to say, is it actually a correlation between if you're in a tag match, you can be hidden away and therefore you can last longer because even if you're not on that night, you can always just kind of hide in the mix versus if you're in a singles match, that's when you're much more likely to have to take time off.
1: The ideal way to do it. And and someday when, when the, uh, the WrestleNomics, uh, when when we start hiring people to to stand there and watch every match and go to every house show with a stopwatch is to time the num the amount of time that you spend in the ring that a wrestler spends in the ring and that would give you a better idea seriously
0: and and i've even heard the argument that you should actually count whether the guy has a face or a heel because of the number of bumps that you'll take that's different where you know whether you, depending on which style you're you're Especially working in you might have to style. bump a whole lot more yeah so I don't know if that's true in today's modern style, but I've definitely heard that about when you're counting 80s guys matches. Yeah. About, you know, Hogan didn't bump all that much. <laughs> right. Because right. the heel bumping and feeding a lot. Exactly. And so the argument was always DiBiase kind of wore himself out because he had to constantly bump for everybody. Whereas the big faces at the time could in many ways just continue to find new heels. And so that's why the boss man, for instance, you know, he was a great a foil for Hogan but he could only do that tour for so long taking the superplex off the cage every night before you have to move on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I I always find it interesting to look at it. The good news is I do feel that the the brand split is successful, you know, uh 2016 AJ Styles was at the 180 mark. Um, you know, and now he's sitting more at like the 140 mark. Uh Xavier Woods was at the 180 mark in 2015. Xavier Woods had over 200 appearances in matches, you know. Big E was 222. If I were to ever say, is there anyone I'm most worried about, Big E would probably be near the top of my list.
1: And this includes four. appearances with the New Day where, you know, yeah. I, one of them will be on the outside.
0: Yeah. So so I do think that that's the one reason that you can have New Day all averaging so high when you look at it this way. Um Part of it too is that I, I do feel that A, there's wear and tear on your body just touring around and B, you often do take a bump or you do something when you're on the outside there. Yeah. And, and so it's not enough just to say, Oh, well, you know, he's not wrestling. You know, most of the time the Usos are going to jump out of the ring and all three guys are going to be expected to catch them. So you're taking a bump on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me too. Someone like, um, Alexa Bliss, who, you know, has, has been really struggling with, with CT or not CT, but, um, uh, TBI, uh, type things with a concussion, uh, that she still is at 124 matches and appearances this year. Mm-hmm. You know, so she's still really working quite a lot for someone who um is has been uh, uh in my opinion kind of off TV for a little bit. Well, not off TV, but um, minimized. Yeah. Oh, well, you mentioned like Will Osprey is already up at like one twenty ish, right?
1: One nineteen, I think, is his cage match count for two thousand nineteen. One hundred nineteen matches.
0: Interesting. So I just mean like, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible.
1: And that's um, somebody who's on the Indies who's working a wide variety of promotions, including New Japan, uh Ring of Honor, and. And a ton of promotions throughout Europe and, and Australia yeah. even. Uh, and I think and that the argument is like, well, here's somebody who's not just doing house show matches, but somebody who's like probably trying to perform at a high level just about every time he goes out there.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of high level performances that involve Will Osprey, should we run down Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah. I want to read us the card. All right. So, uh, if I get there early enough. I can watch the gauntlet match to determine the number one contenders to the never open weight six man tag team championship. Uh, I have a standing room ticket. I think, mm. I don't know if I even have a real seat. Mm. So, um, but I'll be able to see Nagata Cobb and Finley new hall of famer, Nagata. That's Cobb right. Finley, That's right. Versus the elite, which in this case is being defined as hangman page, Marty Skrull and, uh, Takahashi, Yuji, Yu- Yujiro Takahashi. Close enough. Um, the chaos group will be, uh, Hiroki Goto, mm-hmm. Trent Beretta, and Chucky e. T, Chuck Taylor. Yep. Versus Suzuki Gun, which is, uh, Suzuki, Lance Archer, and, and, uh, Dave, Davey Boysmith mm-hmm. Jr. Um, and also versus Taguchi and the MVPs, the most violent players, Togi Makabe and Toro Yano. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a gauntlet match. So that'll be interesting. Um, I think at one point, um, what's his name? Elgin was supposed to be in this, and I think he got replaced by Cobb. Yeah, is, is, Elgin not being used by New Japan anymore? What's going on there? I don't know the story, but it, all I heard is that, that like, I think I just heard a story that he was, you know, that Cobb was going to be in the match and Elgin was not going to be in the match. Okay. Um, the singles match for the never open weight championship will be Koto Abushi versus Will Osprey. Uh, I expect that to be fantastic. I don't see how that 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 shouldn't be fantastic unless osprey manages to bust his face open again
1: yeah. you've seen the clip of uh osprey doing like the, the flip to his feet off the top and then the camera work of abushi like turning around you seen that
0: yeah yeah yes so that'll be really fun mm-hmm. um there'll be a three-way tag team match for the iwe junior heavyweight championship which is unusual three-way tag team matches are very rare in new japan um no they're not <laughs> three-way ones
1: they do them all the time especially like with the junior titles they've done them quite a bit and they're going to do a second one right on
0: this show okay yeah not a gauntlet match. i guess you're right they're doing two different ones huh yeah i i could have sworn that they're pretty rare but maybe i'm thinking of three-way singles matches that might be what i'm thinking of besides like crazy scrambles
1: yeah they, they don't really do uh singles matches three ways but they've done quite a few tags for for like i said especially for the junior tag titles
0: and this will be uh Suzuki Gun which is a Kenamaru and Desperado versus a Rapungi 3K which is Shonyo and Los Ingnabrais de Japan. I can never say that in
1: Los right. Ingnabrais de Havon?
0: Yeah. Um and that's Bushi and and Takagi. Shingo, Shingo. Shingo. Oh, Shingo. Oh, so Shingo from um from Dragon. Game. Shingo Takagi. Yes. Yeah. Who uh I saw him once when he came to Ring of Honor here in town. Mhm. And, uh, I just remember yelling, uh, use your mullet power, Shingo, cause he used to have an awesome mullet back in the early 2000s, right? Yes. And, and, still does. Okay. Okay. I That's think. the guy I'm thinking of. Um, very interesting match. Ishii versus Zack Saber Jr. for the singles match for the British Heavyweight Championship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I don't know who, who, who is, um, authorizing this British Heavyweight.
1: You're, you're, you're omitting a lot of given names
0: too, by the way. I'm what? You're, om- you're omitting a lot of given names. You mean like their first names, like yeah. Tom- Tomohiro Ishii yes. versus Zack Sabre Jr.? Yes. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm focusing on the half I can say. Okay. But I'm curious who the governing body of the British Heavyweight Championship is here. Is it, I think it's and, Rev Pro. He, I think it's Rev Pro. Uh The Girls of Destiny, which is uh Tamatanga and Tangaloa versus uh, Sonata and Evil versus the Young Bucks or the Bucks of Youth, mm-hmm. Mr. Matt Jackson and Mr. Nick Jackson. Three-way tech team champ championship match for the iwgp tag team championships uh of course a lot of speculation about what the bucks are going to announce you know they made a lot of deals about oh wait till january 1st we're going to do something big on january 1st so um be a big question about you know are we going to see more bucks in new japan or not in the future similarly cody champion versus juice robinson singles match for the iwgp u.s championship
2: mm-hmm.
0: kashida versus uh, tichi ishimori taiji ishimori for the IWGP junior heavyweight championship. Uh Be really curious to see whether or not, um, gosh, what's, what's the, the great guy who, um, just got hurt and, and might come back soon. The great guy who just got hurt and might come back soon. Oh, um, uh, Takahashi. Yes. Yes. And, and just be curious to see if he comes out for this or not. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like a special guest star or something, Mm -hmm. um, because it's been a big deal about his recovery from his, his, broken neck yes um okada versus jay white singles match uh interesting example of you know really elevating jay white this year treating him like a main event heel and you know the um were, were they both in chaos before is that right
1: uh jay white was in the bullet club for a second i think they both yeah maybe they're both in chaos don't know See, so it's great great news band analysis we give here
0: I know, right? Next so match. I'm, I'm just looking forward to Okada versus Jay White. I, you know, again, Okada always wants to put on such a big show and it'll be very interesting to see how much he can elevate Jay White's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jericho versus Naito, mm-hmm. uh, singles match for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship and then Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi mm-hmm. for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing to me that you have Cody, you have Jericho and you have Chris, Kenny Omega. All holding championships in New Japan. Um, and just, you know, just the fact that they've really gone heavy. It's that that's the other big story for this year was, you know, New Japan hiring Harold May as a, you know, a lead executive. New Japan has so diversified, um, its focus in so many ways of both what, what, what they're putting forward as a front face in their championship holders and other things this year. So I'll be at the show should be a really good time. Uh, i'll call you from two in the morning and uh we'll, we'll have such an awesome review as i i do a great job just at that point i'll probably be fluent perfectly able to uh, say everyone's name yes and uh, you, you, you by might, no means will i be tired after a week in japan
1: yeah you might call me from japan and we might do a show an intercontinental show an iwgp intercontinental show
0: yeah what what gear what what uh what gimmick do you want me to pick up in in japan for you
1: gimmick oh i don't know uh, is, are, you are, there, are you looking
0: for t-shirts from anybody? Are you looking for uh not really?
1: Uh is, is there, are there survival Tobita shirts action figures?
0: I could probably meet Tobita while I'm there, but no. He yeah. he he's even he's authorized me, you know, to make new shirts. Really? Yeah, like we we I pointed it out one time that like you know, I really want to get this shirt. And he said, the original's in Mexico. <laughs> I can't do it, let's do this or something. And so I almost set up a big cartel shirt just to sell survival, survival to be shirts. And I was just going to sell them at cost. Excellent. Um, so there might be a day when I do that. I haven't decided um, if I'm going to make that effort mm-hmm. or I'll work with pro wrestling tees to, you know, actually get the uh, official authorization from survival to get it set up. Mm-hmm. I think that would be, I, I honestly think that would be one of the biggest hot sellers because if I went to the Joey Janella show and I sold survival to shirts, I can guarantee I could sell out a hundred of those in a day. Yeah, it's got to be the right audience, but
1: yeah, I, I think
0: that's the kind of audience that would love it. Official license, yeah. Um, um, and I'm sure Joey would then say, "Can you get me to Vita? Yes, he probably would. Um, Speaking of New Japan, um, they, they they're running two shows in in the U.S., but this is the New Beginnings USA tour. So this is going to be the Young Lions tour, all the guys that are are training under Shibata in the New Japan dojo out of California. And uh, there's going to be another tour going on in Japan at the same time. So they're not going to be able to bring over a lot of stars. I expect it to be, you know, the Tiger Mask Fours of the world or something coming over to just kind of supplement the card. Um, maybe Captain New Japan will, will come back. But, uh, uh, the biggest question here is, you know, what's amazing is they sold out the Globe Theater in LA, which is where PWG runs now. And, uh, they probably, uh, will do maybe a thousand or something in that building. And then they're also going to then run in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Grady Cole Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, old Jim Crockett Promotions place, as they know. Um, they said capacity might only be like 1,200, 1,500, uh, but they sold out all, all the tickets. So it'd be very interesting to see if they're going to you know, open up more space or reconfigure or do what. But uh, that's a good sign for New Japan about, you know, they had worried, I think, people about whether they were ever going to actually break out of being just a North America, California-type market. That said... Twelve hundred fans. That's still a small show. We're not WWE here. We're not doing three to five thousand. You know, that's still a a a show over a thousand, but that's not all in. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, that's where we stand. Uh, so really exciting for them that uh, you know, even without announcing cards, I think it's a good example of how we can truthfully say that wrestling is getting hotter in the United States outside of WWE. And with that. Brandon Howard Thurston and and Muki Ghana, Chris Harrington, are ready to sign off.
1: This, this, this has been your weekly installment of ASMR WrestleNomics Radio.
0: <laughs> yeah. Originally, I was going to do the entire show talking in a very soft voice like this. Mm-hmm. But my voice recovered enough to give you a, a grainy, uh, disjointed pronunciation fest. Mm-hmm. Um, so... As it stands, we will talk to you again soon. I hope everybody has a great holiday. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.